In this week's episode, I am talking to the gorgeous Natasha Scholl about her most recent and very first book. I can only imagine what it must feel like for Natasha as a debut author launching her book earlier this year and all of a sudden finding her beautiful baby out in the world, featured in bookstores right around the country. In this week's episode, we're covering a number of things together. I wanted to talk to Natasha about what it looks like to approach a story like the one that she did, which was about grief and her experience of grief. In our conversation, we talk about what it takes to get published, how to structure your story, how to explore difficult topics, and so much more. If you're an artist or creative or have ever dreamt of writing your own book, make sure that you keep listening. Let's go. If you're trying to promote your brand, but stuck finding the right words, this is the podcast for you. Get your weekly inspiration on all things storytelling, creativity, branding, and so much more. I share inspiring stories, as well as tips and tricks on how to make your words work out in the world. And if you like free stuff, I've got you covered there too. Head to therightremark.com to steal my marketing secrets. You're listening to The Right Remark Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Right Remark podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Barrington, and this week I am talking to Natasha Scholl. Natasha is a writer and lapsed lawyer based in Melbourne, Australia. Her work has featured in a whole range of different places, including The Guardian, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, Good Weekend, SBS Voices, Kill Your Darlings, and so many more places. Her first book, Found Wanting, was published by Ultimo Press in Feb this year. The book tells the story of Natasha and her fiancé at the time going to bed after a night of red wine and pasta on Valentine's Day. At the age of 27 years old, just a few hours later, Rob's heart stops. This memoir tells the story of Natasha's attempt to rebuild her life in the wake of Rob's sudden death. Before I introduce Natasha to you, though, I'd love to tell you a little bit about my book doula program. Some of you may be aware, in this 12-week program, I help aspiring authors write and sell their book so they can heal, leave a legacy, and make a big impact in the world. Unlike other writing courses, the Book Doula program guides you through the process step by step so you can write that best-selling book you've always dreamed of. This program is not just another digital writing course. It helps you with the mindset, the coaching, practical skills and knowledge, as well as my little black book of industry contacts to help you successfully create and sell your book. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to www.thebookdoula.com.au. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, for agreeing to come and chat to me. (laughs) I was mentioning before that I've, I've obviously read your book, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story and your new book, Found Wanting, for those that may not know about it. Sure. So my book is, I guess, what they call a grief memoir. It begins on the night that my partner Rob died when I was very young. I was in my 20s. And I guess it's about not just about grief, but how to sort of rebuild a life in the aftermath of that loss and what it means to sort of reintegrate past lives and 
into your future lives and what to do the day after the worst day of your life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And the I mean, it's such a personal story that you um, share, obviously, being a memoir, it's based on your own experiences. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what the journey was like for you when you were writing the book. Everything sort of happened in about 2005 onwards, and it took me until about 2019 to sort of start the writing process. So there was a huge gap there. And I think a lot of that time was actively not writing, like being afraid of what would happen if I did write and what would that mean to write about those experiences. So there was a huge chunk of not writing time, but my brain was always sort of processing things and imagining the, all the what ifs. And then the real writing started in about 2019. And that was, I mean, I didn't tell anyone I was writing a book. I was too scared to even mention it out loud. Uh, my husband, Dean, is sort of my biggest cheerleader although he hates it when I call him a cheerleader um I had to take that out of the acknowledgements he's not my cheerleader um but he is really (laughs) and so he was always like you have to write you have to write like this is what you're born to do so I sort of started taking baby steps into writing I joined my local writers group and I was workshopping things but I still sort of didn't want to admit to myself like I want to write a book like that sounded big and scary so I just started drafting what would become chapters but really it was just a big big old mess and I started applying for things like you know competitions and writing competitions and it wasn't so much to get shortlisted or to win or any of those things it was more just to have these sort of deadlines in place because you know there was no publisher knocking at my door saying hi we heard you can write what have you got here's a deadline like there was no external pressure and I needed that sort of momentum to push me forward so I just kept applying for all sorts of things I was just always on the lookout of what's next what else can I for and that kind of encouragement and superficial deadlines that I put in place myself and I literally at the very beginning had to google how many words is a book like I knew nothing about starting the writing journey and yeah I just was getting words on the page and it was just this giant document that just kept expanding and expanding and expanding and then one day I realized I had a book (laughs) it's crazy isn't it and I think it's really common for beginning writers when they're starting out to be like okay where do I start how long does this need to be and Mm -hmm. there's kind of that moment where you realize that what you're doing is actually writing a book whereas at the beginning sometimes it can't it it kind of doesn't feel like that it might start off as journaling or you Mm -hmm. know something else was there a moment like that for you where you were you know you realized that this was going to be something that would become a book or did you start out with the intention that it would be a book do you think I always start out with the intention of I need to get this story down. I want to write a book. And if all that happens with it is it becomes a finished product of some sort, then that that's fine. I mean, I had my goal was I would love this to be in a bookstore and I want to be published, but at least I have that thing of like, I have this book in me, I need to get it out. And if I say I tried, then that was a version of success for me because I knew I couldn't move forward unless I had this out there finished in the best form that I could get it in. And yeah, you do have that sort of imposter syndrome at the beginning where it's like, well, surely a real writer knows that they're a writer and feels like a writer all the time. They don't feel like someone sitting in their trackies writing on the couch, you know, like that doesn't feel like what a real writer should do. But yeah, then I had that moment of actually, if you peek behind the scenes and you see what writers talk about in their process, like maybe 
they that's exactly what they're doing. They're yep, snacking 100%. on chips with one hand and typing <laughs> eating, out on the other. Eating Doritos for lunch because Doritos, they're like in yeah. the zone instead of right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There is there's so much. Um, there's so many preconceptions about it. I think, and we that it's really easy to put a lot of expectations on ourselves. But for any creative pursuit, really, not even just writing, right? Like, yeah, there's all this expectation and meaning that we inject into before we even get started, which I think can really hold people back. Definitely. Your your book is, you know, I, I so enjoyed reading your book. I thought it was so well written. And Thank you. So I think with memoir, it's really easy to kind of over overstate, overwrite, particularly when we're writing about personal experiences and trauma, like trauma and, and traumatic experiences to really overstate things. And I loved how there were so many subtleties in your writing and, and so it was such an exploration for me, such a journey of the different perspectives of grief and, you know, that that whole concept of how we, the human condition of grief and how uncomfortable it is and how we handle that when people are going through grief. Mm-hmm. When you first started writing this book, did you know that your book was, that that's what your book was going to end up sharing with the world as part of that story of telling your story with you know in relation to Rob or was that something that emerged through the editorial process? Um, No the way that it reads now is pretty much how it started like that was the general tone obviously there there was heaps of edits and things along the way but that was the tone was always the same. I think when I started out I didn't want the whole thing to be too dark because obviously the content could be like I wanted people to want to pick it up so I didn't want it to be like hi here's a really depressing book enjoy um but at the same time I was also writing what happened and what happened has elements of light and dark and I couldn't have written what happened without also talking about the moments of humor and like the absurdity of grief and I think that's what I really wanted to capture as well because when I went through it it was such a shock and I felt like I was doing grief wrong all the time because all these weird things were happening and I didn't know how to sort of exist in normal society again so I think I wanted to capture those moments of just the weirdness of it all because I felt like I'd been placed on this sort of other planet somewhere and I just didn't even know how to like talk the same language anymore or how to like walk like gravity felt different like everything felt so weird so I was trying to capture that so that if anyone else happened to be going through that exact same thing they would be like yes that's me too and I feel that and that's normal and I feel validated now so I think there was that element of trying to capture the whole experience not just to speak to sort of the sadness of it as well which you did so beautifully as well you really did yeah did you sometimes um you know when you're like in flow and it's kind of the words are just coming and you're like yes I'm in the zone this is just all working really well and it's just almost automatic did you have any moments like that and did you ever feel like you had Rob there with you kind of channeling this information? Partly. I mean, people have sort of said, like, how did you kind of revisit that time? Like, And I think a lot of it was because because I've been actively not writing the story for so long. It sort of had been going on and on in my head for that whole time. And I'm like, the grief is always just part of, it's part of who I am. It always exists underneath the surface. So I didn't need to sort of revisit that time. It was always just kind of there humming across. Kind of and I think. Yeah, so I think when I try, did try to tap into it, it all kind of flowed out because it was like finally, like it's been waiting to come out for so long and I finally listened to it because I kind of had this fear of like, well, if I let it out, like, you know, I have this beautiful life and 
I'd been pushing it down for so long, all those negative things. I didn't want to, yeah, I was just scared of what I'd find out if I if I sort of opened up that part of myself. Yeah, it all just sort of came out because it's all there. It's always has been and always will be. Um, in terms of like the other stuff, I, I, I kind of felt like I did need to check in with Rob, like, are you okay with me telling this story? Does this represent our relationship? So I did have that conversation with myself and with him, like, is this, okay and I think I had that conversation in my head with anyone who's in the book or anyone who I'm describing our relationship you know whether that's my family members or friends I was sort of was doing that constant checking in like is this true is this real will I hurt anyone by putting this out there mm. it's so um the it's beautiful to hear you describe it that way as well because I've recently been listening to Amy Tan talk about her experience with writing memories and Mm. she has this beautiful um way of describing when you're in the writing like when you're in in the writing you're writing companions and one of the companions she talks about is the ghost I don't know if you've heard her talk about that and I so resonated with that because I think particularly when you're writing memoir and if you're exploring um writing about someone that has passed over or even someone that's in in real life in human form today like that concept of checking in with them and and Mm -hmm. remaining true and authentic to the story that needs to be told in relation to that character or relationship or person Mm. is so it's it's such a nice way for a writer to think about it I think yeah Um, and I think I wasn't writing a history textbook like not every single fact had to be this is the exact way that it happened and the reality is if someone else who was there was writing this story it would read completely differently and I kind of had to just allow that and say this is the truth and it's my truth it's not necessarily the only truth because you know that's especially memory like it's so fallible and I think that's also what I wanted to explore specifically as well like I didn't remember everything that happened and even my memories of things I started writing about I was like wait that can't be true that doesn't make any sense like Mm. if I just if I wind the timeline back and just look at the fact of it like that's but then why am I having that weird memory and where did that come from and let's lean into that and say well how has that become a part of my story when looking back? I know that's not exactly how it happened. And why am I telling myself this? Like, it's so interesting that the memory memories, is fallible. Yeah. 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 And which memories come through for you as well? Like mm-hmm. why that memory as opposed yeah. to the, you know, the section in the book where you talk about the watch, the watch stopping mm-hmm. and, and that whole description around the watches and watches never working. And, you know, I thought that was such a powerful symbol. And, you know, it's interesting how those ideas come up, isn't it? Did you? Mm-hmm. Did they just come to you, those which memories you decided to write into it? Yeah. Or they did? Yeah, it sort of came out. I didn't write it. So the order that it's in now, I mean, probably a lot of it is in the order that it was written, but it also got mixed up. And I sort of would write one section and then go, okay, now I'm writing another section. And I wouldn't write it all chronologically. It all just sort of came up when it came up. Like the, I started out writing in the notes section of my phone. So all just these sort of random words and random memories and random things. And I just went where I've heard others describe, you have to go where the heat is. So I just went where the heat was. So this thing is speaking to me and now I have to give it my attention. And so I'd write into that just to discover, you know, and there were sections that I wrote into and then I was like, this is, it reads beautifully, but it's not part of the story right now. And then I would scrap that. But had I not written that, then something else might not have popped up for me. So I kind of had to just accept that what I was writing was important and whether it made it to the final book was sort of irrelevant. It was all just leading to something else. 
Yeah, yep, going on the journey with where it kind of takes you. Yeah. 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 When you went through the process, I'd love to just talk to you a little bit about, you know, obviously you're writing a you know, grief memoir, as you call it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of awful description, really. <laughs> um, but the, you know, going through and writing about an incredibly painful experience like that, um, do you have any guidance for other aspiring authors that might be listening, like in terms of, your own self-care toolkit, I suppose, mm. in, in going through that that you would suggest for people that might be listening and wanting to go on that journey? Because it is, it's bloody confronting, right? You, yeah. You are, it's inevitable that in order to write it, you relive aspects of it. Yeah. I heard someone else, um, another writer I was talking to, she teaches um, sort of storytelling workshops and she was saying she often tells her students to write from scars, not wounds. And I thought that was a beautiful way of describing it. So I think that was part of the reason I couldn't write this story any earlier is it just would have been, you know, like that's why people have therapy. Like if you go to therapy yeah. to um, if you've got a story to tell and you need help with it and that's you know that's one area of healing but the writing of it can't be the therapy itself for me for my purposes obviously there are other aspects of writing that are incredibly healing and journaling and all of those things are great but you need that support around you so that whatever you're writing you have the tools to deal with so for me I mean there are things that in hindsight I probably should have done differently like I think I wrote the whole thing because I was so scared of people's reactions or responses I didn't show it to anybody including my husband now so and then when I did show him the whole thing his response was so beautiful and I'd spent all this time being terrified of what he would think and you know I spent all this emotional energy worrying about it when actually it was his response was amazing and I didn't need to worry about it. There's something to be said for actually sharing what you're going through with people who love you slightly earlier in the process. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because we do, we put a lot of weight on other people's opinions yeah, um, and, and fear of kind of upsetting anyone, especially the people that we really love. Mm, yeah, 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 for sure. And the reality is the people who love you, especially if you're writing a memoir, like the people, like they know everything about you really, even if, there are certain aspects that they don't like they know who you are as a person so the people you know after this book was published and people read it like the people who love me do love me after reading it if not more and the people who probably don't like me very much I mean this is not going to change their mind one way or the other so I think just knowing like your support network will always be there I think is important yeah definitely I often describe it with my students like there's kind of two camps there's the people that especially with family as well like you're you'll often be surprised like the people that you really think won't like you're really worried about that will be reading it straight away sometimes they're actually the ones that don't even bother reading it yeah (laughs) that you're really worried about and then others like that you're kind of nervous about and they just love it and you're like really you know they they just really feel so privileged to even feature in it so it's something we put a lot of weight into it's really Yeah. yeah it's interesting isn't it talk to me about what it was like when you first held the book in your hands the whole lead up was I mean, like the day that I found out that I got my publishing deal, I mean, it's something I'd worked, like I'd wanted for so long and I'd worked for so long for, and that when I got that email with the offer in it, it just didn't feel like how I thought it would. Like I got a migraine straight away, like my body went into shock. I thought I was going to throw up. (laughs) And I got like a physical, I had like a physical reaction. Like I came downstairs, I burst into tears and 
my husband looked at me and straight away he knew. He was like, I think these are happy tears. Like, what's happening? And then he was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Let's go out for lunch. And I couldn't eat. Like, I felt so sick. So it was so weird. Like, I thought it would be this, like, celebratory moment and I just sort of came undone. And I don't know if it was the release of, like, oh, my God, this thing that I thought would maybe never happen has happened or if it was just, okay, this is real now and I need to actually show the book to people. I don't (laughs) know where I came from. Yeah, and then obviously then there was, the publishing process is quite long. So by the time that it went to print, it was sort of a year, which actually in the publishing world is quite short, but it was sort of a year later that it came out. And again, in the week before that it hit the bookshelves, I like I had this physical reaction where I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't eat, I just was like I needed silence, like I couldn't like talk to people I was really just withdrawn and again like headachy migraines like and I'm not someone who gets migraines generally but my yeah it was like my body just went into shock I kind of spiraled a bit again not the reaction I thought I'd have I thought I'd be like excited and proud and whatever but I just the reality of people reading it just felt really overwhelming yeah and I think yeah and I think like that's such a normal reaction right like you're putting it's like here's my soul and heart on a platter I'm just going to publish this for the world and let people make make what they will of it yeah like yeah judge me me, yeah yeah there's a beautiful quote by Ernest Hemingway I think and it's like there's nothing to write and you just sit at the typewriter and bleed and I, I remember when um one of my first book clients um she launched her book and she invited me to speak that night and I opened with that quote because she had um, written a memoir about some pretty horrendous trauma and it was just like this, you know, actually releasing that into the world is so terrifying and just you really open yourself up um, for criticism but it's not criticism of you, it's criticism of Mm. your writing which can sometimes be even more scary. (laughs) Yes, depending on how much effort, you know, how hard it's been to write yeah. it. That's, that's interesting. Talk to me about the publishing process, though, because, you know, landing a publishing deal is really bloody hard and the book um, appears to have sold really well. And, you know, I picked mine up on the way to Thailand at the airport. The cover is beautiful. I want to talk about that separately, though. Yeah. Talk to me about how you got published. How did you get published for this? So book? when I started writing book it was pre-COVID and then so that was sort of just the beginning stages and then I was like okay next year I'm going to take my writing really seriously I'm going to put aside some time each week that will be writing time I'm going to treat it like a part-time job and then COVID hit and we I was in lockdown with four small children trying to juggle like homeschooling and you know work and my husband's work it was just chaos sorry, and sorry so, Natasha did you say four children Four children, they were all primary age. We had twins in prep and because I'm in Victoria as well. So Victoria was pretty much like two years of straight lockdown. It was, yeah, it was intense and the pressure on parents was just. I did one of those years. I did one of those years. and then Yeah, I and fled. then you were smart and then you fled. <laughs> I, fled. I fled to northern New South Wales with the guilt of leaving and running away and, like, leaving my fellow Mel- Melburnians behind oh. and it really felt like that too um, yeah. up here. But. It, you know, lockdown was awful, but four yeah. kids and homeschooling, yeah, like you're a superwoman and writing oh, a book in there as well. <laughs> um, thank you. But why I'm sort of leading with that is that like the publishing industry was just decimated in that time as well. Cause obviously with book sales and everything, 
people just didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's the same with all retail, all businesses, really. Everyone was just in that, we don't know what's going to happen. So as a debut author trying to crack into the market at that time, it was like literally never a worse time to try and crack into the market, let alone with a grief memoir that publishers are like, well, do we need sad stories right now? Um, you know, with everything that's going on in the la- you know the landscape, which is shifting so quickly. So that was so I um, at the very beginning. So I think it was twenty twenty one when I start. Oh, twenty twenty. I don't know what is time. Who knows? I know. <laughs> and I think the first time I sent my manuscript out, someone said to me, "Just put it in a drawer." Like I'd finally finished, and I was so proud and so like in shock that I'd done it. And someone said, "Put it in a drawer and don't look at it for like." six weeks, six months, whatever it is, and then revisit it. And I was like, are you kidding? Like I finished a manuscript. Like that's really hard. It's the best shape I can possibly get it. I've read it a million times. There's no way I can improve on it. It is what it is. I'm sick of the side of it is usually what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to know, like, is it a yes? Is it a no? I need to know. And so I sent it to, I think, just one agent at that stage. I thought, just take it really slowly. Take it to one agent and just didn't hear back. And again, publishing industry, COVID like no one was really looking at that time and then because I was waiting I looked at the manuscript again and was like wow this needs a lot of work they were right I should have just put it in a drawer and not looked at it so that's when I did like a bit more of a structural edit and then it took almost another year before I completely reworked it reworked it and actually took on the advice which was don't look at it and then do yeah do it again I think I may may have got like I think I took it to one agent and there were the response was that it was beautiful, but they couldn't take it on because they weren't sure if they could sell it into the market, given it was a grief memoir with the landscape as it was, but they wouldn't have any recommendation in changing. And I was like, well, it, there's nothing wrong with the manuscript itself. It's just they don't know if a publisher would be interested. So I'm just going to take it straight to publishers and see. So yeah, I just started the submitting process really slowly. I had a little Excel spreadsheet. I had all like, you know, going from sort of my ideal publisher's down and just always had like one or two on the go so that if I ever got a rejection that I knew that there was a possibility out there still you know one no was like okay cool well I still haven't heard back from that other publisher so then I'll send another one out I always had a potential maybe yes out there in the world somewhere Um, and what an incredible (laughs) like that's amazing to do that as well like going direct and did you get um rejection letters and feedback so I got actually I was waiting for all the rejections I actually got some really positive feedback almost straight up um one was a we'd love to take it but we've just taken on a similar like you know a memoir and because we're a small list we can't necessarily take it on so I was like well that's encouraging it wasn't a no on the work itself it was a no it doesn't fit within our list and I think that before I started the process I didn't really understand how much wasn't just the writing or the writer or the story it was what works within our list for that calendar year you know depending on the publisher like there's so much of that business side that goes into it and then ultimate press was sort of in my top um, that I was really interested in at that time at that time they were quite a new publisher but they're an imprint of Heidi Grant so it was exciting and I knew that they were taking some risks as well and they were kind of new and edgy so yeah I submitted through their just submissions page on their website and was very quickly that they said yep send us the full manuscript Amazing. and I just had this feeling I was like yeah that's my publisher and I just kind of Aww. felt it <laughs> that's so exciting so yeah. exciting um and so what advice would you offer for other aspiring aspiring authors having now gone through this process um well apart from the advice which I didn't take on which was when you finish put in a drawer don't look at it and then revisit it but also another piece of advice which I found really helpful 
Um, and it was something I heard on another podcast was a writer was saying that I think they had like a, they were calling it like their year of failure or something like that. I can't remember the exact wording, whereas they sort of reframed failure and sort of, I guess, took possession of it so that anytime they would pitch an article and get rejected or send out for a competition and not get shortlisted or whatever it was, it was like, cool, I've ticked off my little failure list, like, yes, another failure. And I was like, okay, well, I can do that. So I just kept producing content, like I'd write an article just for fun, like just as part of something to do to get those writing muscles working. So I'd pitch an article and if it got through and it got taken up and published, like, great, that's great. And if it didn't, like, tick off my list of like, cool, another failure, that's great. Like another little rejection, like, that's cool. I'll add it to my pile. And that was what I set out to do. So therefore it's success. Um, And it just sort of flexes that muscle that says you know it's like flex that failure muscle and you develop that thick skin where it's like this is part of being a writer and you have to be able to sort of embrace that failure it's such a small industry success like what what does that mean anyway and that yeah so I found that really empowering I guess to have failure as like part of my journey and looking back now like all those every no got me to where I am and it's really difficult when you're in the middle of it to see that but in hindsight this was the path that was made for me and I'm so happy with where I ended up and with you know my dream publisher you know the dream cover like all these different things that just wouldn't have happened had I not been picked up from that slush pile from that you know the publisher when they picked me up at that exact time like it just wouldn't have aligned in this way yeah absolutely I love that concept as well of like each of those failures sort of set you on that path as well because that resilience is so important. It is still your baby though, <laughs> but yeah. it is you need to kind of have that resilience for sure and, and that ability to um, take on board feedback and that sort of thing. Did you yeah. work with a book editor before you um, went to Ultimo or did you simply work with their editorial team as part of the process? So when I got that initial no from the agent sort of like the year before, I was like, well, I don't know what to do with it now. Like I know I've reached my capacity yeah, of writing and rewriting and rewriting and I don't even know how to make it better at this point. Some days I go, I hate all of it. Or other days I look at be like, no, it's perfect. So then I was given the name of, you know, someone who specializes in like structural edits and, you know, helps people at that stage, like that very much pre-publication yeah. stage. Like and a developmental think, edit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she, first of all, just did a manuscript assessment and that was when I was, she was like, no, there's definitely something here. Like you've there's, you've definitely got something. So just to have that sort of confidence boost, of, okay, I've created a thing. Like I don't know what this thing is, but it is a thing. We worked together on a structural edit. So by the time it went to the publisher and I'd pitched it, it was in almost the same shape that you see. I mean, obviously I worked with editors there as well, but the structural edit, which is often often the hardest or longest part of the process was already done. So by the time I went to the publishers, it was really just that, yeah, sort of basic edits. Yeah, it was was a tidy up. Yeah, amazing. And how does it feel now? Like it's out in the world. It kind of takes on a life of its own, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It feels, I mean, it feels the feedback has been just really overwhelmingly beautiful. So it feels lovely having it out there and all the things that I was afraid of in that week to, you know, when it was the lead up to publication, they sort of didn't, I didn't need to be scared. So having that positive feedback is just beautiful and just have like the connections I've made with other writers in the community as well has been really amazing. And just seeing this thing that I worked so hard for, like it's a real thing. It's very, validating yeah it's really real I'm holding it's it in my real hands. Thing, yeah. <laughs> and talk to me about the cover I want to shout out to whoever did this photo 
Yeah, so I think all the details are in like the little front page. So yeah, the designer is amazing, Alyssa. She's just brilliant. And I was looking through, so on my Instagram, I'm a big reader as well. So on my Instagram, um, like often I'll just take photos and it's more for my own record as well. I just like to keep a record of books I've read. And there was, um, I read Kokomo. I don't know if you've read it. It's a beautiful book. But no, one of the comments I wrote on it was just, how, and this was way, way before I got published or had a publishing deal, it was just how much I love the cover. And it's the same cover designer that did her book as my book. So that oh. felt very like oh my god um yeah so Alyssa's amazing and Ultimate Press are amazing because they sort of took on exactly like you know it's a grief memoir it could have been like a sad girl cover or it could have been really just you know like florally or bleak looking but they didn't they were like let's take a risk and let's make it bright red and let's make it hardback and yeah I don't think all publishers necessarily would have taken that leap of faith so yeah it's just Mm. the most beautiful cover I mean I'm allowed to say that because I didn't design it but I'm sorry (laughs) when I when I first saw it I just came through an email they're like by the way here's the first look at it you know it was just a draft of it obviously and I just looked at it and I gasped I was like Yeah, that's, it. that's the one. <laughs> but it has, but it has that look about it as well. Like I, um, because I hadn't heard of you, obviously, like your debut author, and mm. and like I just like I obviously because I mainly specialize in working with people who are writing memoir, and usually mm-hmm. it's trauma memoir as well. So I don't know, maybe I was attracted to it because of that. But it was the cover. <laughs> Like, it was totally the cover initially. I was like, oh, my God, like, I have to pick this book up. This cover is amazing. And, oh, and then when I read, you know, that obviously it had said memoir on the front of it as well, and mm-hmm. I'm always attracted to reading memoir. So, um, yeah, no, you've just – it's amazing. It's a beautiful – Yeah, they've done a great work. job. You have as well, though. You should be so proud. It's <laughs> a beautiful you. read. And anyone that's listening, like, just check it out. It's Yes, it's about grief, but, oh, my God, I laughed so much. It was humorous. <laughs> it was, you know, it's just a really beautiful and just so timely book as well at the moment. I think, you know, there's, there's the world is just such a crazy place and there can be this sense of, like, hopelessness and, like, what the hell is going on, like, COVID and war and pandemics and monkeypox and bloody <laughs> shit going everywhere. But, like, it was just, yeah, it was just a beautiful, um, beautifully you. written story. Thank um, you very much. So where can people find you, Natasha, for anyone that's listening to follow along? What's next for you? I'm sure people ask you that all the time and you're like, I'm just bloody birth this one, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, so my next book will be fiction, no more memoir. I think I'm all memoired out. I'm yep. <laughs> putting it all out there. Yeah, so I'm working on fiction now. And, yeah, I guess watch this space. I, it's Sorry. funny. You write a book and you're like, yeah, I know how to write a book now. The second one will be fine. And then you're kind of back to square one with all the same insecurities securities and all the same imposter syndrome I'm like oh my god anyway yeah. so yeah 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 there's it's that second book fear like I yeah. think it's a real thing especially when your first has been really successful as well but keep going you've got a natural talent and I'll definitely definitely be watching from the sidelines do you have a website or something you want to give a quick plug I'll make sure I pop it in the show sure. notes too. so my website's just natashashoal.com and then I'm sort of quite active on Instagram as well so it's natasha underscore no, it's not. It's Natasha underscore Shoal. That's my email. Just Natasha underscore Shoal. We'll work it out. We will. We'll put that in the show notes. It's funny. Yeah, it's like, professional. I did. I was doing an Instagram post because I've got the book dollar and then book dual. Sorry, I've got the right remark, <laughs> which is my marketing and PR Instagram. Um, for that business and then I've got book doula but like book doula is like book underscore doula underscore yeah. au and I was like it's not sexy at all to say but 
anyway, whatever. <laughs> this so. is what happens when you exist in all sorts of, you know, I've got like my work hat and my like, you know, family and the writing and it all just mushes up in my head. A hundred percent. Oh, thank you so much, Natasha, for taking the time today. It's been beautiful to have you on the show. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for having me. What an incredibly talented woman. I hope you found that episode useful. Just a friendly reminder, if you are in the process of writing your first book or memoir and you are looking for a bit of help, please make sure you head on over to www.thebookdoula.com.au. I am running a 12-week program, the Book Doula program, which kicks off on the 1st of August. And in that program, I guide you through the process of how to successfully not only finish writing your book, but also how to get published and get out in the world. So if you're interested to join me, head on over to thebookdoula.com.au. I would love for you to join me. And of course, if you found today's episode, I would love for you to take a couple of minutes to jump onto Apple Podcasts and rate and review it. Have a beautiful week, everyone, and I will chat to you soon. See ya.